Good morning, podcast listeners. Wow, it is a beautiful day here in West Virginia. The sun is shining, although it might get a little extra hot today. Um, so this morning, the Lord has let me um, realize that he's calling for some extra. And we're going to talk about that today. What does that mean to be called and to be graced for the extra in your life? Um, let me get started with a prayer and then we'll get right into some scripture. So make sure that you have your Bible with you this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity I have to record this episode. I thank you that my child is happily watching some TV, that my other child is happily at school, and that there's a moment of quiet and calm in my life. And you have guided me through words, through scriptures, um, through other people's writings, to be graced for this moment. And I just thank you for that, Father. And I know right now that this is a word that you have for people. And so I pray that you would open the hearts and minds of the people that are listening to this episode, that you would guide them today and let them know what it is that you want to do in their life with the words that I'm saying. So as I pray, Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable to you, dear Lord. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. So I'd like to talk a little bit about grace for the extra. What do I mean by the extra? I mean, we're all called to do something unique. And because it's unique, it's going to be a bit extraordinary, extra from the ordinary of life and from everyone around us. Sometimes we may feel that our extra is a bit too extra. It's a bit much sometimes. But God says, persevere in that bit much space. Persevere in the extra. He's going to grace you for it. I personally have been called to extra. I spoke in my last episode about having a dream and waking up and having that dream interpreted to me by the Holy Spirit. That's a bit extra. But the Bible says, earnestly the desire the gift of prophecy which is a gift of the Holy Spirit. And we're all to desire that. And prophecy is the ability to communicate with God and have him lead you to the next step in your life. And sometimes you may go beyond yourself and you may have some communication for someone else or you may have communication for a nation or you may have a communication for the entire church body of believers. That's a bit extra. I grew up um, in a very conservative church belief system where the gifts of the Holy Spirit were not taught on as often. I believe that they were probably even what would be considered cessationists, that the gifts of the Spirit just ended after the early church period and the canon was developed. Um, I have experienced and read enough scripture to believe that that's not a truthful um, interpretation any longer of what's going on because the Holy Spirit continues to guide us all. I met a, um, a podcast listener yesterday and she said, tell me about these dreams. 
because I have dreams. She said, I know God's communicated with me in dreams. It's too personal. It's, I think of someone in my dream that I haven't talked to in years. I reach out to them and they're going through a difficult time. And I, I just have this moment where I know God sort of did a setup. And yeah, we call them in divine appointments, a God setup, whatever you want to call it. He's communicating with you. He's letting you know he's our creator and he is also our sustainer. And how he sustains us is through many ways. First is through scripture. As I've always said, get your Bible, get in your Bible and let the Lord speak to you and your family through his word. So this week I was reading Psalm 69. I'll give you a minute to flip there. Psalm 69. And I would like to read about the Psalm of David. I'm starting at verse one, and I'll read through a little bit. Save me, O God, for the floodwaters are up to my neck. Deeper and deeper I sink into the mire. I can't find a foothold to stand on. I am in deep water, and the floods overwhelm me. I'm exhausted from crying for help. My throat is parched and dry. My eyes are swollen with weeping, waiting for my God to help me. Those who hate me without cause are more numerous than the hairs on my head. These enemies who seek to destroy me are doing so without cause. They attack me with lies, demanding that I give back what I didn't steal. Oh God, you know how foolish I am. My sins cannot be hidden from you. Don't let those who trust in you stumble because of me, O sovereign Lord Almighty. Don't let me cause them to be humiliated, O God of Israel, for I am mocked and shamed for your sake. Humiliation is written all over my face. Even my own brothers pretend they don't know me. They treat me like a stranger. Passion for your house burns within me. So those who insult you are insulting me. When I weep and fast before the Lord, they scoff at me. When I dress in sackcloth to show sorrow, they make fun of me. I am the favorite topic of town gossip and all the drunkards sing about me. But I keep on praying to you, Lord, hoping this is the time you will show me favor. In your unfailing love, O oh God, answer my prayer with your sure salvation. So I read um, all the way through verse 13. And I hope that you understand a little bit of David's heart as you listened. He has been called to do a bit extra. He has a burning inside of him for the house of the Lord. He weeps and he fasts. For the Lord. And yet the result is that he gets scoffed at. He becomes the favorite topic of town gossip. But he's called to weep and fast before the Lord. How wonderful is that? Passion for your house burns within me. So those who insult you are also insulting me. Have you ever felt that? Does God call you to that life of prayer and intercession for his people and his house? 
that's left you face down on the ground. That's what I imagine here. And David is very aware that he is a bit, he's a bit much. God's called him to do a bit more. Because he says in verse 6, Don't let those who trust in you stumble because of me, O sovereign Lord Almighty. Don't let me cause them to be humiliated, O God of Israel. For I am mocked and shamed for your sake. Humiliation is written all over my face. I know a sister in Christ who travails for the souls of the lost. She is called to an extra amount of prayer. And maybe it's not that hers is extra. Maybe hers is exactly what God wants all of us to be doing. But she's living in it. And she has moved into that graced space. And she's living it out. And it comes at a price. I know that she's concerned sometimes about what people will think. Times when she has felt the grieving of the Holy Spirit so much and she stays in that space and prays through, prays through and misses out on social obligations, misses out on just sometimes being normal and feeling normal. And you know what? At first I thought, well, that's a bit much. And then I realized that throughout time, God has called some people to that bit much space. For instance, if we move past the Old Testament, which by the way is just full of examples of people doing that extra, read about the prophets, they are definitely doing a lot of what people would think is just extraordinary, crazy, insane. You know, they're getting scoffed at for Jesus, for the Lord God. If you move forward to the New Testament, there is a man that even Jesus calls the greatest man to ever live. And I, when I first heard that, was like, no, Jesus never called a man other than himself the greatest man that ever lived. No, he did. Turn with me to Matthew eleven eleven. Actually, let's back up to verse 10. Matthew eleven ten. 10. John is the man to whom the scriptures refer to when they say, look, I am sending my messenger before you and he will prepare your way before you. Verse 11. I assure you of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. Yet even the most insignificant person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. I'm going to keep reading for a little bit. And from the time John the Baptist began preaching and baptizing until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and violent people attack it. For before John came, all the teachings of scripture looked forward to this present time. And if you are willing to accept what I say, he is Elijah. The one the prophets said would come. Anyone who is willing to hear should listen and understand. I know that we've touched on these verses before. As I 
disgust about the children playing in the courtyards. But what I'm hearing here, this new fresh word from this is that John the Baptist, he prepared a way for the Lord to come. And he did it in a radical way. If you've ever heard much about John the Baptist, he, of course, was the prophet who, first of all, he lived in isolation. I'm sure his parents had both died by the time he was older. Um, he has retreated to live in a desert. Um, and it might have been because to hear the Lord, he needed to quiet the noise. And that was a bit extra for him to be out in the wilderness. That's where the Lord called him was to the desert to live. Maybe there's some of you in the Lord saying, set your alarm for 6 a.m. when all is quiet in the house so I can speak to you. Maybe the Lord is calling you to stay awake late when all is quiet so he can talk to you. But John the Baptist was called to live in a desert where it was quiet and the Lord could speak to him. What attracted people to John was the fact that he wasn't business as usual. He was extraordinary. He made a bold statement that the Jewish people needed to go beyond business as usual. They needed to go beyond that and have baptism for their sins. And that was an amazing statement to be saying at a time when the Pharisees said, we're going to use the law, we're going to know the law, we're going to stretch the law to cover everything that we do, and we're going to use the law to continue to validate our extreme works to make us worthy of heaven. What were those extreme works? They were even measuring out the very nth degree, their herbs and spices for tithing their income. They wanted to be so much more accepted by God, but not in a righteous way, in a very works-oriented religion way. And John and Jesus both spoke so much against that. So much against that spirit of religion that says we need to either use God for what we can gain and impress him with our works or we need to believe that God lavishes us so much with grace that he is okay with our behaviors and he is okay with the choices we make because surely God loves us so much that he understands our misgivings as humans and wouldn't put too much pressure on us. And so we have this sense of entitlement to be able to do whatever we want as if Look, God, you created me. You put me in this world. It's a really horrible place. You know it. So, look, I'm going to live it pretty horrible, too. And you know that. And we sort of feel excused with it. Like, we get a pass because the world's so bad. 
instead of where Jesus said, I want you to be perfect as my father in heaven is perfect. And if Jesus said it, it's because he expects it. And that is where I start shaking a bit and saying, my God, I need your help. I couldn't do that on my own. And he says, good, because I've given you the Holy Spirit to help you. So I'm getting off a bit, but I wanted to talk about John because there's a quote that I found um, on a website called Not Only Sundays. And I really appreciated this, but I wanted to see what you all thought. The quote was, for us today, our faith needs to challenge the established form of religious expression. All traditions can get stale and lose its heart. But people today crave an authentic spirituality as much as they did 2,000 years ago. They're talking about when John the Baptist was in existence. Genuine seekers will go out into their own deserts away from the business as usual to find a more genuine way of living for God. This is as much a challenge to our own religious comfort and conformity as it was in John's own time. I agree. I agree. Get away. Get in your own desert time. Find a place where the business as usual, the crowds, the noise are all quiet. But you might feel like, well, that's a bit extra. Okay, it is a bit extra. Just like David burned for the Lord's house. He burned for the Lord's house. When have I burned for a place where the saints gather and worship? When have I had such passion for that? No, I have other passions that I burn for. Let me move to another story. So we've gone from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Now I want to move on to one that was in 1910. Okay. There was a man named John Hyde. And John Hyde was a devout Presbyterian pastor's son from Illinois. Okay. And he got into um, seminary and he decided that he was called to go and to minister in Punjab, India. There were nearly a million unbelievers in an area served by only five missionaries. Okay, so his first year on the field, he pinned the le a letter to his seminary and it said, yesterday, eight low caste persons were baptized at one of the villages. It seems a work of God in which man, even as an instrument, was used in a very small degree. Pray for us. I learned to speak the language very, very slowly, can only take, talk a little in public or in conversation. This man became somewhat fluent in the local language, but he never lost his passion for God's word. That became number one to him. He became persecuted. So he also became withdrawn and intensely private, which was not a good fit for a missionary. But his call to prayer was so intense. So he's out living in a place where he needs to be an outward missionary. But God all of a sudden calls him inward to pray. Okay, so he's invited other people out to the mission field with him. But in 1899, his call to prayer was so intense, he spent whole nights on his face before God. Here's a letter, an excerpt from a letter he wrote. He said, I have felt led to pray for others this winter as never before. I never before knew what it was to work all day and then pray all night before God for another. In college or at parties or at home, I used to keep such hours for myself for pleasure. 
but to do as much for God and for souls? Then in 1904, a group made up of Indian converts and American missionaries, led by this Mr. Hyde, united at Salcott, and for the first, they had a, an annual convention of prayer, okay? And the results were stunning. They were praying for revival. And each year after that, everyone would get together. But Hyde, he supervised the prayer sessions and those involved. Guys, they were astonished because he could discern. He had incredible burden for the souls of India. In 1908, he was inspired to pray for the impossible, for the salvation of at least one convert each day in India. God answered that prayer. By the end of the first year, 365 converts had been added to the kingdom. Then he began to pray for two souls a day, and as a result, 800 responded to the gospel that year. Yet he was not satisfied. When the 1910 convention gathered, those nearby were dumbfounded by his faith, the way he prayed, as he demanded, quote, Give me souls, O God, or I die. End quote. During that session, he shared his latest vision, which he was again, that he was again to double his goal. He wanted four souls a day and would accept no less. By then he had acquired the name Praying Hyde and revivals in major Indian metro areas sought to engage his prayer efforts. In fact, there was a tremendous weight on his spirit when the numbers didn't add up, that he couldn't eat or sleep until he had prayed it through and felt God move in response to that prayer. As a result, the numbers continued to multiply exponentially. Before his death, he wrote, On the day of prayer, God gave me a new experience. I seemed to be away above or our conflict here in Punjab, and I saw God's great battle in all India, and then away out beyond in China, Japan, and Africa. I saw how we had been thinking in narrow circles of our own countries and in our own denominations, and how God was now rapidly joining force to force and line to line, and all was beginning to be one great struggle. That to me means the great triumph of Christ. We must exercise the greatest care to be utterly obedient to him who sees all the battlefield all the time. It is only he who can put each man in the place where his life can count for the most. In the end of his life, after countless nights, of praying and weeping on a cold, bare floor in India, not sleeping or eating, but interceding for the souls that were lost. He went from one a day, two a day, four a day, to eight souls a day that he knew of that were saved each day and baptized into the kingdom. The burden to pray was so heavy that it could be felt by those who were nearby him, who were similarly affected. Hyde's bed was famously said to have never been slept in, hardly ever. He spent most nights on the floors groaning for souls. And as a result, the number of converts all over India grew by leaps and bounds. It's said that after his death, the medical examiner was stunned to discover that his heart was no longer located to the left of midline, but was now located to the right. Probably, they said, from lying on the hard, cold floor for so many years. What a speculation, though. 
that he prayed so hard that his heart actually moved in his body. So I was reading to you from um, a bit of Hyde's biography. Praying Hyde. It was written by Steve Porter. But think about this gentleman, Praying Hyde. In 1910, he cried out, Give me souls, O God, or I die. That was a burden that was given to him by the Lord. That was a burden that was put in his spirit by the Lord. And he followed through on that extra. He was graced for the extra. So friends, I, I want to know, what extra have you been thinking God is calling you to do? Thinking, feeling, perceiving, outright being told, do this. But you think that's a bit odd. That's a bit extra. That's a bit like wearing sackcloth and grieving for the church. That's a bit like eating locust in the middle of a desert to be alone with God. And then proclaiming salvation comes through baptism and repentance. That's a bit extra to be laying on a cold, hard floor, praying for souls that your one job as a missionary isn't to go out and necessarily win the souls, but that God somehow wants to connect with a believer and have that believer pray souls into the kingdom by praying that saints are there to speak in the right place at the right time to unbelievers. And you feel that you have an almighty connection with the father to be laying down, praying that in. And he wants to somehow be a partner with you for that. Let me tell you, if he's calling you to that, obey. Obey and you will be graced for that. I wrote down once, faith comes after obedience. And then I just sort of lost the note that I wrote it on. Because I asked myself a question with it. What part of my life am I trying to keep under my own control? Well, let me tell you guys, I have been graced for a bit extra. Of course, I have the podcast, but I also know that the Lord uses me to communicate to the body of believers. And um, I'm attending a church right now, and on Sunday, the Lord specifically had a word for the church. And I have spoken to the pastor, and he knows that there are times that this may happen. And I prayed that the Lord would give me very clear words, and so he did. And I told the pastor what I felt the Lord was communicating to this group of believers. The pastor said, Amen. I want you to go ahead and say it. And I said it, and I was scared to do it, and it was a bit extra. I've only been attending this church for a couple weeks, well, maybe about a month now. And I stepped out and gave a word, and that was extra. But I was graced for it. But the interesting piece is that in doing it, I was able to say to the church, to people there, 
a confirmation of some sort. It was, this was, this was the word I gave on Sunday. You will not know what I need from you until you take the next step in trust. It is then that I will supply for all of your needs and your faith will increase. And the pastor said, maybe some of you are wondering about the next step God wants you to take at work, in your business. Maybe there's a a business deal that's that's laying heavy on your heart, whether the Lord wants you to do it. Maybe there's something that someone here knows that this is a word for them. And take it to the Father and to Scripture, to the Word of God, and have the Lord communicate to you. Is this for you? Again, the word was, you will not know what I need from you until you take the next step in trust. It is then that I will supply for all of your needs and your faith will increase. Now, that is a word of the Lord for the people of the Lord. But you'll recognize that is just it's scripture. It's reminding people of what he's already said in scripture. But the Lord was so... desiring to get that word out specifically to people that he said, Becky, tell them this. And I did. I don't always get the unction in my spirit to go forward and to tell a word, but I knew that I knew that I knew that I knew that I had to say something and that the Lord wanted me to say it and that it was from him for the church. And I believe that these words are for you today as well. That he's saying that you won't know what he needs from you until you take a step out in trust. And then once you do, your faith will increase. And your faith will increase. Why? Because you are going to be doing work for him. The work of Christ. It's not to advance our kingdom but it's to advance his kingdom. It's not from my will be done. It's for thy will be done. We have a sovereign Lord. And as David said in Psalm 69, I pray as I end this podcast today, what David prayed over the people that were sort of the ordinary believers in his day. And maybe you find yourself a bit ordinary right now as you hear these stories that seem a bit much, that seem a bit extra. So I pray, Lord, do not let those who trust in you stumble because of what I say, Father. Oh, sovereign Lord Almighty, don't let me cause them to be humiliated, O oh God of Israel. But let us all remember, God, that you are sovereign, meaning you plan the steps of every man. And you want to have us cooperate with you to bring into place the kingdom of God. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. 
Grace us for the extra, God. Because stepping out in faith, being obedient to you, Lord, we will gain more ground for the kingdom and we will have more understanding than we ever have about who you are, God, and who you've called us to be. In your name I pray, dear Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, sustain us today. Amen.